Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be opening up the Salt and Light Hope Chest and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from early 2015. First off, author John Schlimm tells us about an unexpected meeting that turned into the most meaningful relationship he ever had. We also meet singer-songwriter Noel Garcia. In our second half hour... We learn about consecrated life with Bishop Richard Moth of the UK Armed Forces, and we end the show by catching up with Matt Marr. We now begin with the story of a young man and a nun. What if you had the chance to learn the answers to life's greatest questions? This is what author John Schlimm discovered after meeting with Sister Augustine. This story of friendship is now a book, Five Years in Heaven, and to tell us all about it, I am now joined by John Schlimm. John, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Hey, Deacon Pedro. It's so great to be with you and all of your listeners. It is. It's very, very good to have you, too. Um, Without giving too much of the story, because we want people to buy (laughs) the book, can you tell us briefly how you ended up meeting Sister Augustine? It was purely by chance, or uh, you know, I like to think of it as divine intervention. Yeah. She ran the yes, exactly. She ran the ceramic shop on the grounds of the 150-year-old convent that is in my hometown of St. Mary's, Pennsylvania. And I actually, growing up here, never even knew there was a ceramic shop huh. until I was 31 years old and at one of those crucial crossroads in life where we all find ourselves from time to time, mm-hmm. and a friend took me there. And that's where the story begins, where I found her tucked away in this little ceramic shop, really hidden away from the world. And one late winter's afternoon, I walked in, and it completely changed my life. Okay, so let me ask you about this, because I read that in the book, and I thought, okay, if I was, the way you describe it, at a crossroads, I, I was having writer's block, or I was feeling a little down, and my friend Stephen said to me, let's go do something fun, let's go to a ceramic shop. I think I would have I would have passed. So what 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 other than divine providence like why did you say I mean he didn't say let's go to the lake or let's go fishing or let's go to the amusement park. So what was it or do do you do you not know was it truly divine like that pull that you're like I just need to get out and it doesn't matter what we do. Well, I think it was a combination of two things. I'm an artist myself, so something about going to a ceramic shop at a convent really piqued my interest. And number two, I just love nuns. You know, who does not <laughs> love uh, a nun? I okay. just love nuns. Fair, so, fair, so fair. The combination of the two of them, it was an instant light in the darkness before I even got there. Okay, that, that's fair. I, 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 I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Let's go see some nuns. That sounds like fun. <laughs> Yes, yes. Which, I, you know, I expected to walk into something like Sister Act or The Sound of <laughs> Music. <laughs> okay, so then that now, is it, maybe this is a good time to point out that you, you did go to a Catholic school. Did you have nuns as teachers, sisters as teachers? I, I did, I did, all the way through, starting with Sister Josepha in first grade, right on up through Sister Kathleen, uh, who taught me theology in high school, and my algebra tutor, Sister Mercedes, who really helped me get through that advanced algebra class. <laughs> right. So, yes, I, I, I was so fortunate to have them. And, you know, unfortunately today, uh, a lot of uh, the Catholic schools don't have nuns. No. I know our Catholic schools here in St. Mary's no longer have nuns teaching in them, and I think that's so sad. Yeah. But I just feel so blessed that I got to. 
That's good. And, and, and obviously you had had good nun experiences. Otherwise, you would not have been looking forward to go and see more nuns. Presumably, right? <laughs> yes. There was no, uh, you know, I, I hear my parents' generation joke <laughs> about the, the uh, ruler knuckle-cracking yes. nuns of, of their day. You know, and perhaps, uh, you know, they, they needed that a little bit. I don't know. But no, I had all great experiences yeah. with them. And so that's why I jumped at the chance to go. Absolutely. And you know what? Again, <laughs> I think I agree with you because it's my experience. I did not have nuns as teachers. In fact, I went to an Episcopal school growing up. But we were very friendly, my family, with a group of nuns who lived in a, in a convent near where my grandmother lived. And we used to go there all the time and they would give us cookies. And, and they were cloistered, so they'd come through the grate and still, you know, they were so much fun and they were always happy and always laughing. Um, so that, that's great that you had that experience growing up and that you were looking forward to meeting more nuns. So you met Sister Augustine at that, 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 that day at the ceramic shop. You didn't have to come back. So why did you go back? What was it that made you want to return the next week? Well, when I first met her standing there in the shop, I, I immediately knew there was something very special about her. She had the voice of a grandmother. She had the most beautiful chuckle uh, she would laugh and this amazing twinkle in her eyes. And she really let me know that I had found my way to where I was supposed to be. So that next week, it was really this tugging in my heart, almost like a magnet that just pulled me back into that shop. And I'm so glad it did because that turned into hundreds of visits that would follow over the course of the next five years. Interesting. So so over the next five years, you met with her many, many, many times. You <laughs> yeah. weren't meeting, I mean, it wasn't like she said, come and I'll give you life's, you know, the answers to life's questions. <laughs> um, but you did end up learning a lot throughout the course of your friendship. Can you maybe name, I know this is going to be difficult, but maybe name one either memorable moment uh, or, or, or memorable lesson that you will never, never forget? Well, one afternoon, she and I were making these little clayware crosses that she would make out of her leftover clay because she wasted absolutely nothing. Uh So when she'd be trimming off other pieces, she'd have a little pile of the clay, and eventually those would be turned into these crosses. And I asked her the question. I said, Sister, what is the greatest lesson you've learned in your life? Hmm. And she thought for a moment, and then she said one word forgiveness. Hmm. And that turned into this really fantastic discussion about the power of forgiveness in our lives, which actually formed the basis for chapter six in my book that's called Tiny Crosses. And she really opened my eyes to the fact that when we forgive, we so often we're so we so often are hesitant to forgive because we think we're letting the person who hurt us off the hook. Yes. And she said that's not the case. She said, sure, it's the gift of love and compassion that you're giving to that other person, but it's an even greater gift of love and compassion and freedom that you're giving to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think on a daily basis, we run into circumstances, some more serious than others, that require forgiveness. And sometimes it requires someone forgiving us. So every single day I carry that conversation uh, that we had over those tiny little crosses about forgiveness with me. Amazing, and what a what an interesting image to go with the uh, concept of forgiveness than uh, uh, little crosses. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's, I, I, I seem to realize there was no such yes. thing as an accident in no. her. <laughs> 
studio. No. Every single moment had a purpose. Beautiful, beautiful. So the book is full of those 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 conversations, those lessons, uh, neat stories. What is your hope for this book when you when you decide to put pen to paper? What, what were you thinking? Just sharing stories, or do you, would you like people to reflect on anything in particular? What is your hope for your readers? <laughs> Sister Augustine once said to me, every story has its time to be told. Mm -hmm. And I really felt that the time was right for this story to be told, just because uh, each of our lives and the world itself is at such a crossroads with so many different things going on in it. And I think that readers are going to find a part of themselves in this story, because I wrote it in such a way that the reader is invited to pull up a chair to the table with us mm -hmm. and to listen right along with me to the lessons and answers that Sister reveals to me about those universal questions we all have. And I, it's my hope that the reader will then draw his or her own meanings and inspirations from the answers that are uh, revealed so that Sister Augustine can be a light in their life as well. Absolutely. And I and I think I know I know it it's it's done that with me already. So I know it it'll do that with with your readers. Um one uh I I, I don't know maybe again kind of divine divinely providential uh outcome of of writing the book is this this uh can I call it a project or 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 uh, <laughs> well, I'm a not even a global can I call it a global movement? Uh, yes. called Thank a Nun. So Thank a Nun Day is May 5th. Can you tell us about that? Well, as I said in the beginning, we all love nuns. <laughs> and uh, you know, the nuns across the world are working so hard to help uh, everyone uh, to lead better lives. But I think so often that their, uh, their work goes unnoticed or underappreciated. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do something about that. So my publisher and I are launching Thank a Nun Day on May 5th. And we're asking everyone to use social media uh, to post their pictures and their memories of their favorite nuns who have touched them in some way by using the hashtag thank a nun. And I'm really excited. We have a lot of interest in this from around the world. And I think it's really going to let the sisters out there know just how grateful we are for the humility and grace and wisdom that they've shared with us throughout our lives. Yeah, I, I think it's a great initiative. So, so on May 5th, Hashtag thank a nun. All social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, share photos and, and also send personal messages to these nuns if you're still in touch with them. Tell them that you <laughs> that you're grateful, right? Um, yes, absolutely. We're gonna get nuns trending on May 5th. Yes, let's let's have <laughs> And they deserve every bit of it. Absolutely good. So if people want to find out more about that, uh, the website for the publisher is imagecatholicbooks.com, but we're gonna put a link on our site so it's easy to find and 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 salt and light is going to be right there uh tweeting and and sharing stories and and helping uh uh retweet and and share all all all, all the all the hashtag thank a nuns that we find um thank oh, you john that's so great it's and we even have a coloring nun activity <laughs> that children can do so that they can also share it. And so the link that you're going to provide in your site will lead people to these images that they can download for okay, their good. children to color. Good. <laughs> and, and, and adult children can also color and post them. Of course. How's that? Of course. Excellent. I love yes, it. I absolutely. love it. I really hope that this, that this becomes a yearly, a, yearly, a yearly event because it's such a wonderful initiative. So, John, thank you for the idea. Thank you for the book. And thank you for what you're doing. And, and let's, uh, let's meet one day.
I hope I hope to meet with you one day as well, and I thank you and all of your listeners. John Schlimm is an award-winning writer. His latest book, Five Years in Heaven, The Unlikely Friendship That Answered Life's Greatest Questions, is published by Image Books and available at a bookstore near you. You can find more at John's website, johnschlimm.com. That's Schlimm, S-C-H-L-I-M-M, John Schlimm, but I'm going to post that also that link on our site so you can find it easily, johnschlim.com. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Noel Garcia, with I Thank You, Lord, from her album, Meet Me Where I Am. Garcia with I Thank You, Lord, from her album, Meet Me Where I Am. 
Noel Garcia is a singer-songwriter based in Kansas who has been in ministry for over 10 years. She says that her primary mission is to teach through her own testimony that we are all wonderfully made in God's image. Noel uses music, story, witness, and prayer to spread the gospel. And her ministry is lived through her vocation as wife and mother to three beautiful children and one on the way. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Um, Noel has two albums and is currently working on a new one with her husband, David. And to tell us more about all of this, I am now joined by Noel Garcia. Noel, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So um, I know you live in Kansas now. You didn't grow up in Kansas. Tell me what was what it was like to grow up in the Garcia. Uh, Garcia is your married name or I should I should have asked. Garcia is my maiden is name. Maiden I told name. my husband to change his name to Garcia, but he didn't <laughs> fall for that one. <laughs> so what was it like to grow up in the Garcia household? Well, it was always very busy. I'm the oldest of six kids, and three are adopted through foster care. Uh-huh. Um, my dad is Mexican. His parents are from Mexico. My mom is Caucasian. And um, we grew up in South Texas and then moved um, just kind of all around the country growing up, and I moved to Kansas from Michigan after I was married. Yeah. So, um, was it yeah, a, what do you want to know? Well, was it a Catholic household? It was a Catholic household. We went to church. Um, we were raised in the faith. Um, but when I was a teenager, I started to reject all of that as normally, yeah. you know, we kind of go through that phase. But my big testimony and my message to young people is through that experience yeah um, because when I rejected the faith I rejected it because I didn't feel loved um, being the oldest yeah. I used to get all the attention then all of a sudden I've got you know five younger siblings um, and uh, the attention was split then uh-huh. I was homeschooled also and I love homeschoolers I love homeschooling we're actually starting to homeschool our own because we travel so much right but I didn't have any friends and uh not feeling that love, not feeling love from, um, you know, my faith because I was really struggling with my self-image. And uh-huh. I didn't think that, you know, if God loved me, why would he create me um, to be what I considered as ugly? And right. so I started to kind of spiral into a depression. Um, and what brought me out of that was going to a retreat where um, I really encountered the love of God for the first time through better understanding his passion and death on the cross. Right. How old were you? Sorry, how old were you for that retreat? Sure. I was around 15. Okay, so you were still going through your adolescence. Um, I, I, I do want to know more about that, but were you, was it a musical household? Were you already doing music at that point in time in your life? I started taking piano lessons when I was 10 years old. Um, I had a little friend who had started homeschooling with me, and she played piano very well, and I wanted to be better than her. Um, <laughs> so I started taking piano lessons, but then um, I started singing after my retreat experience. I joined this praise and worship band, um, which was getting ready for the first Youth 2000 in Memphis, Tennessee. Right. Um, and that's when I started to sing. But I was so bad that my dad said, you know, honey, I think you really should just stick to piano. Are you serious? <laughs> you couldn't sing? I'm serious. So then I started taking voice lessons because I'm also very competitive. I guess that's, I don't know, maybe that's a Garcia thing. Yeah. But I was really competitive and, um, and really worked hard uh, to be able to, to improve that so that I could do uh, ministry in a better capacity. And when did you start writing songs? started writing around 16. I'd always kind of written poetry yeah. and rhymes, um, particularly when I was going through 
my depression um, just really uh, they were really dark and tragic poems but um, I had always kind of been interested in poetry and so then once I could play piano proficiently and started to sing that's when I started to write songs mm -hmm. so around 16 17 um, and then I that progressed when I met John and Gotti okay was my music director yes in Memphis and um, he and I started to co-write things I see. Yeah, we know John. He, he's been on this show, and, and I know him well. Um, I, I, I want to go back. Sorry, you, you, so you, 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 you refer to this situation as, a, as, an, as an adolescent, as a depression. Was it uh, diagnosed as that? I never received any kind of counseling, and that's one thing that I tell parents. You know, my parents, when I brought this to them, because I had started cutting, I had started considering oh, yeah. suicide, and um, they said, oh, you know, it's just a phase. But my mom struggles with um, clinical depression as well. Yeah. So, um, you know, they said, you know, it's just a phase. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. But I, I was very close. If I hadn't gone to this retreat, I, I don't know that I would have made it through my teenage years. Um, but the one thing that always kept me from suicide was I believed at the time that if I did kill myself, I would go to hell. So that's the one the, little thing yeah. that kept me kind of hanging in there. So, but okay, so wait. So did you continue struggling with depression even after your retreat experience? Or did you have like a full-blown conversion experience where you've been healed? Um, I had been healed from the cutting. Yes. Cutting, I didn't even know what cutting was until no. I became a youth minister. Yeah. Because nobody in talked those days, about it. Nobody, yes. People did it in private. Now, you know, it's almost trendy sometimes. Yes. But... Um, the cutting I was healed from. The depression, no. I, I still struggled with that, but I felt that I had a coping mechanism now. My coping was prayer. Right. Um, and turning that over to the Lord and just crying out, please, you know, help me, help me through this. Help me get out of bed this morning. Help me, yeah. you know, um, in my life. Yeah, that's a good coping mechanism. Prayer is good. So then your, your mission... I think that's what you call it, to, to, to let people know that we're all wonderfully made in God's image. That's really what saved you. Yes. That, yes. You're, that you're wonderfully, not just made in God's image, but wonderfully made. Right. And that's what I try when I, when I go out and do ministry. I mean, even to adults, that you'd be amazed how yes. many adults don't believe that they're wonderfully made in God's image. Yes. And so that's what I feel God has put on my heart. Um, because and I and I always tell people after my retreat, everything changed, but nothing changed. Uh -huh, you know, uh -huh, yes. It's one of those things where all of a sudden you have a purpose. You you realize God loves you, and there's a reason for you to be here, and and you cling to that. But then you know nothing healed. I didn't all of a sudden turn into this super popular model. Right. You know, <laughs> girl. I, it was. Um, very painstaking process of taking better care of myself, um, dealing with different issues in my family, and um, clinging through faith through all of that. Right, right. Now, I, and I know that, I mean, you are a, a singer, you're a songwriter, but you're also a, a speaker. That's, that's a great part of what you do is, um, like I know at the end of August, you're going to be at a, at a women's conference. So um, how much of that... And I know that you can't be who you you can't be who you're not, but you're a wife, you're a mother. How has that influenced your whole mission? Well, I think I understand the love of God as father, um, as parent more now as as I am a parent than I ever right. yeah. ever did before. You know, 
when you have your child and you, you love that child more than you love yourself. Yes. Um, it's such a deeper uh, love um, to experience. And so that has brought me closer to the Lord. As far as the practicals of ministry, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's been a challenge because we've got little ones. Our oldest is almost five. Oh, we yeah. have a four, three, almost two-year-old, and then one due at the beginning of August. Yes. So it's a busy household. But we try to, you know, really discern what events are we going to take on. Um, is there a possibility to bring the kids along with us and have family watch them or friends watch them? And right. God has always provided mm-hmm. from that practical standpoint. Um, we've never been, you know, up a creek without a paddle in terms <laughs> of including our family in the ministry. Or um, sometimes I'll take off by myself and uh, David, my husband, will be with the kids. Right, right. So I should—I guess I should say congratulations on number four. He's, so Thank he's you coming, very much. Coming short. I mean, he, he, baby's here. She's not out of your womb. Um, right. um, tell me about the new album that you're... Is this the first album that you're working on with your husband, David? Tell me about that. Yes. Well, my husband is a phenomenal guitar player. Uh-huh. Um, that's why I, I married him is because I couldn't <laughs> afford he, any more musicians. So <laughs> he can't do anything but, else, but he can play guitar. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> He's got a very unique style, kind of flamenco, but also um, you know, very rhythmic and melodic. Uh, and so he yeah. and I decided, you know, we should do something together. We are always playing together. Um, people often, when they book me, if they can't get a keyboard or a piano, they'll book you know, my right. husband as well, so that he can accompany me. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we, we write together, and it's so funny because everybody says, you guys are so lucky that you can do music together. And we say, oh, it is the thing we fight about <laughs> the most. <laughs> yeah. When there is passion and music, there is love, and there is also anger. <laughs> yes. Um, but it's been a great partnership. We, we have realized that we are... Um, we bring out the better in the other person mm-hmm. when it comes to songwriting and music. And so we're really excited about this project um, that'll be coming out at the end of the summer. Okay, good. So we're looking forward to that. Um, and I'm sure that that's a good excuse to get you back on the program. Um, so that's all the time we have, Noel. It's been really good. I've, I've heard about you. I've listened to your music for several years now. So this is very exciting to finally have you on the program. Um, for people... Um, that are in the San Antonio area, you're going to be speaking at this women's conference. The Pilgrim Center of Hope Catholic Apostolate in San Antonio is having you over for a women's conference. So that's August 28th. Um, there's more information on your website, so I c- I'll, I'll make sure people uh, can find that, noelgarciamusic.net. Um, but thank you. Thank you for uh, um, um, sharing what you do with us, and I'm excited that you're learning Spanish. Uh-huh. Yes. So that we could do our little interview in Spanish next time. How's that? Okay, we'll do it in Spanish. Definitivamente. Okay, Noel, uh, enjoy and uh, and uh, welcome to the world to the new little one. Thank you. God bless. That was Noel Garcia. You can find out more about her, purchase her music, or book her for your event at her website, noelgarciamusic.net. It's Noel, N-O-E-L-L-E, noelgarciamusic.net. I'll put that link on our site so you can find it easily. Here now is Noel Garcia with Come Be My Light. From her album, Set the World on Fire.
were listening to Noel Garcia with Come Be My Light from her album Set the World on Fire. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Pope Francis has declared this year, 2015, to be the year for consecrated life. And so, here at Salt and Light, we're dedicating some time to learning about and celebrating the consecrated life. But there is some confusion as to what consecrated life refers to. And to help me understand, I recently spoke with Bishop Richard Moth, who's a canon lawyer, and also the Bishop of the Armed Forces of the United Kingdom. Here's an excerpt of our conversation. Now, I know that you were a Benedictine oblate for a long time, so how did we go from being a diocesan priest? It was the other way around, actually. Oh, uh, oh okay. It was when I was a student um, okay, okay. Uh, at the seminary, uh, the, the, we, we heard of a, a Benedictine community in the north of Scotland uh-huh. uh, called Pluscadden Abbey. Yes. And um, so a few of us, four of us, in fact, from, from seminary, uh, went up there after Easter for a little bit of a break. Right. And I was very impressed by the community, and um, so I went back there on my own in the summer, mm-hmm. and then felt called to unite myself in some way with the community. So I asked if I could become an oblate, um, and they said yes, and um, I've been been so ever since. And and that I found those roots with um, the um, a community, a Benedictine religious community, uh, a huge support in my priesthood. Right. Because you've got that community who are praying for you, a kind of a spiritual home, if you like. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it means a lot to me. Um, Can you explain, for people who are hearing that word oblate for the first time, uh, you didn't become a Benedictine. Like you didn't jo- so what's the, can you explain what that means? Right, well, an, an ob- you'll, find, you'll find if you look in the rule of St. Benedict, yes. he talks about oblates, mm-hmm. um, who very often in, in his time, uh, would actually be um, young people, children, um, who perhaps their parents couldn't look after them any longer, right. and so the parents would bring them to the monastery. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now, it doesn't mean that any longer, yes. um, but rather it's, uh, the word ob- oblate comes from oblation, mm-hmm. so you offer yourself mm-hmm. to the monastery, and in a way the monastery offers themselves mm-hmm. to you too, mm-hmm. um, to be your, your spiritual family. Um, it's not like a third order, you know, I was, that was going to be my third question. Orders. Yes. So just like with um, Benedictine life, you are attached to the monastery for mm-hmm. life, it's exactly the same for an oblate. Right. So I'm, I am an oblate of a particular monastery. I see. Yeah. And so is that, so you, 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 you would say that your spirituality is a Benedictine spirituality that, in, that informs what you do, but you're not a Benedictine monk. That's right. So certainly the, the rule of St. Benedict, I hope, informs my life yes um, uh, and uh, that union with the community in prayer and I go always go there on retreat every year in fact I've, I've given the community their, their community retreat they asked me mm-hmm. to do that once um, it's, it's a huge support and I think works both ways uh-huh. it's not just what the monastery does for me I hope I do hope that yes. I offer something back to the community, right? Um, and now you did say I don't want to s- imply that it's like a third order, but is this a fairly common thing that a diocesan priest would have an association with a religious community? Yeah, it's, it, is it, it is it? quite common. Is um, there are certainly a number of priests who are oblates of, of Pluscadden. Uh, the, the monastery altogether, I think, has about two hundred and fifty oblates. Yes, um, and a number of them will be will be priests. 
um, in the same way that you'll find secular priests, diocesan priests, who are, are, are Franciscan third order or Dominican tertiaries. Or, right, right. It's quite common, quite yes. common. Now, you're also a canon lawyer, so I think that I'm going to ask this question to you as a canon lawyer, oh. consecrated life, mm. because as a diocesan priest, technically, canonically, you're not consecrated. That's right. But you're going to have to explain that to us. Right. Well, it, consecration, it, it, the, the way to think about it, the way to think about it is that uh, somebody enters consecrated life, they become a member of a religious order. Okay. So Jesuits, Dominicans, mm -hmm. Benedictines, the Basilians that you have here in Canada, yes. the Oblates of Mary Immaculate, whoever it might be. So yes. you join a religious order. Um, and that, make, that renders you part of consecrated life. Now, right. people enter consecrated life, some of them are priests, some of them are not. Right. So sisters, brothers mm -hmm. are consecrated. Mm -hmm. Some of the cons people in consecrated life will be priests. Yes. Um, those who join a diocese become just diocesan priests, um, if you like, um, working under their bishop, oh, yes. rather than a religious superior, mm -hmm. uh, canonically are not consecrated mm -hmm. persons. Now canonically. That, canonically. Now yes. that doesn't take away from, if you like, our, the consecration that belongs to all of us through our baptism. Mm -hmm. Yes, which I, which I think for some people is, is confusing in terms of the meaning. So, so the clarification is that canonically. And so when the Holy Father says that the, this is a year for consecrated life, he's very specifically talking about religious yeah. Those people who, who belong to religious yeah. communities. Those who take religious vows. Now, as an oblate, mm. are you... Do you fall under that category or not? No, or, <laughs> no. Canonically. Not canonically. No. No, no. No. So that means, for instance, looking at this is looking at it very, very practically. Yes. Um, if I fall sick, mm -hmm. I can't go to the abbot of my monastery and say, now I'm sick, you've got to pay my hospital bills. Right. Yeah, because yeah, you're not a member of that congregation. I, no, no, no. Right. Okay. Um, that's a very nuts and bolts way to put yes. it, but I yeah. think it explains... Uh, explains how yeah, things so work, if you like. Yeah, I yeah. think I get it. So you're also the, uh, the bishop of the forces, the armed forces in the United Kingdom. So how did we get from being a diocesan priest to, I guess, being a bishop or to being in the armed forces? Were you an army chaplain? How, how, does, that, how does that work? Um, well, I was a, uh, an, uh, a chaplain in uh, the reserve mm -hmm. uh, um, many, many years ago now. Uh, with a, a reserve hospital for the army, just for five years or so. Um, so this post came about. Um, after, uh, the I, I, sorry, the post, the po post as being being no oh. as being bishop. Okay. Post of being bishop came to me. I was I was at that stage the vicar general in my uh, diocese in uh, the diocese in Southwark, mm -hmm. um, and I was received a phone call from the nuncio. Yes, the phone who call. Who said, "Would you come and see me?" Uh -oh. And the nuncio said, um, very simply, you have been appointed the Bishop of the Armed Forces, will you accept? Okay. That was that. Yes. So I said, well, if, I remember saying to him, I said, well, if this is what the Holy Father wants, it's God's will and I'll, I'll do my best. Yes. And here I am. Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you about that because, I mean, we talk about vocation and, and obviously at 13 you said you, you had that that was put in your heart and then you entered a journey so there's a bit of a, a saying yes there there's a bit of a saying yes as a seminarian as you discern there's they're saying yes mm. when you met the benedictines and then there's a the phone call from the nuncio mm. how how different are those is that do you see that part as part of the same journey 
or is it different, three different callings? Um, well, certainly in terms of the vocational journey, mm -hmm. the, the call is to diaconate, priesthood, mm -hmm. episcopacy. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same sacrament of orders, yes. but at, if you like, at a different depth. Mm -hmm. um, my sense of call to be part of a Benedictine community, I think was a gift from God as something which sustains me and to which I contribute. Mm -hmm. um, and if you like, it's a bit of a space out of which I try to live my life. So uh, it's a real gift to me um, right. and, and runs alongside and underpins everything else I do, I think. Yeah, no, and it's very different than being a bishop Yeah, with the responsibilities absolutely. that yes. come with, yeah. Yeah. with, uh, with mm. that. Mm. Um, chaplain, being an army chaplain. Mm. Uh, tell me about that. But the, the life of our chaplains um, is quite extraordinary, I think. They, they bring the gospel into places where people very often shouldn't ever have to be. Mm. Um, thinking of the experience of some of our chaplains in Afghanistan, for instance, some of the things they've had to see are things that nobody should ever see. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, chaplains were, for instance, working in the hospital in Camp Bastion, uh, where casualties are coming in with limbs um, gone and all the rest of it. Um, and worse still, when children and, and mothers are brought into the hospital um, with, with savage injuries. That's something that nobody should ever see or experience. Mm -hmm. But there they are, and they were working alongside our armed forces community, um, bringing Christ into that space. One of my chaplains put it, that um, the role of the chaplain is to bring hope where there isn't any. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a, a very privileged vocation, mm -hmm. a very hard vocation. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, the people sometimes say to me, why, why does the church go to these places? Is it right that the church should be involved in that kind of place? And my response always is, well, wherever people are, so Christ must be, and so the church must go there. Mm -hmm. That might sound simplistic, but I think it is as simple as that. Yeah. That was a conversation I had with the Most Reverend Richard Moth, Bishop of the Armed Forces of the United Kingdom. Bishop Moth is a canon lawyer and former vocations director. He is also a Benedictine oblate and chair of governors at St. Mary's University in London. You can watch my full conversation with Bishop Moth by going to saltandlighttv.org slash perspectives and also by watching it on Roku. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Matt Marr, with Deliverer from his new album, Saints and Sinners. I was a drifter, I had nowhere to go. I was hanging by threads of dust and bone. Every angel I knew singing song come home but the melody was hard to sing along oh god you mighty deliverer Stand with When you realize 
there's only one who could ever stand and win. Oh God, you might deliver. That was Matt Marr with Deliverer from his new album, Saints and Sinners. It was Oscar Wilde who said that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Those are such comforting words and words we can all relate to as sometimes in order to move forward, we have to look back and remember where we've been. In fact, that's a key to discernment. Not so much trying to figure out God's will or the future, but looking back and seeing how God has been working in your life. Recognizing that We Are Sinners also helps us identify with other broken people. And knowing that we are all called to transformation also helps us focus on God's mercy and love. These are all themes that can be found in Matt Marr's new album, Saints and Sinners. And to tell us more about it, I am now joined by Matt Marr. Matt, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be back. Yes, good, my brother. You've been busy. Um <laughs> Yeah, I guess we're all busy. So <laughs> many, many of the songs in the album, and I didn't know this until I started, you know, listening to it and, and, and reading up on it, but they were, they're inspired on writings of saints or holy people. Tell me a bit about that process for you. Well, it, I mean, in some ways, I think it, it's really been one of the defining aspects of my writing for the past 20 years. Yeah. Um, you know, that I've, that I've, for, you know, 20 years ago this year that I moved to Arizona from Canada and had a conversion and mm-hmm. wow. sort of gave my heart to Jesus and, and, and also got involved in, in local, um, you know, ministry and started, you know, re, I guess, reattending the sacraments. And, uh, but, but I think more, like, more importantly, it was really at that time that a journey started and in a big part of the process of that journey was me being inspired by the lives of the saints, you know, which yeah. are, you know, basically, I think sometimes it's like we look at this whole thing called, you know, the Christian life or Christianity, and we go, this is completely impossible. Yeah. How could any human being do this? And And that's the great thing about the lives of the saints is that they're basically just sort of just these examples of, of how God is able to do it through the lives of ordinary people. And um, and there's been, I think, a couple of them on the way who have been uh, instrumental, I think, in my own formation and my own inspiration, I think, to want to love God and serve Him more and keep doing this whole thing. You know, I think there's a lot, I think a lot of times on the journey of faith, there's, there's a lot of times where we just kind of want to, you know, say, hey, does this... Does I'll, you know, pull the cord and get off on the next bus stop. Yeah, and, yeah. And so I think, and I think that's that that sense of kind of disillusionment um, um, is actually natural, and it's part of the it's part of the journey. And and um, a, a lot of those people also went through the same thing. Yeah. The difference was is that God led them through um, 
to to a deeper place of faith. And so I think a lot of the songs on this record they were they were inspired by key people who who have been inspirational uh, in my in my own uh, in my own life and formation. Yeah, I, it's, that's so good that you say that. I was just doing a talk to a group of at a theology on tap, and we were talking. I was talking about holiness, but I wanted to talk to them about it's like it's like we think that these saints are were perfect, and they weren't. But you don't find out how ordinary they were until you start reading their writings, and really, and that's where the model I think really comes. Because because you're right, it's like I I can't be perfect. <laughs> Forget it. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yeah, right. Um, but the saints are there because they were they were ordinary and they struggled the same way we did. But, but like you said, God let them through to a deeper place. Um, mm. um, and, and we can all relate to that. Um, I also heard that, I, I don't know if it's unfair to ask you this question because I think there's a story here, but the, the song that we just heard deliverer, you wrote it on the first day of your hep C treatment. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> okay. It, yeah, just the, just the, the the past year, I've had I had hepatitis C for twenty seven years. Okay, and um, I actually got it from a blood transfusion um, growing up in Canada. I don't know if you remember this in the late nineties. There was yes. a huge class action lawsuit against the Canadian Red Cross because it turned out that they had been buying blood. Absolutely, I remember. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I was one of the people who was infected. Wow, really. Yeah. Huh. And, um, and so it was sort of this thing that, you know, hepatitis C is this, you know, weird sort of virus that doesn't really, you know, quote unquote, do anything, especially when you're younger, you know? So, and it's funny because I probably got infected when I was 13 and it, you know, it explains so much like, um, for me now, you know, there was, there was a period in high school where like I slept. Pretty much, it didn't matter what class it was. I just slept through the first period, and I and I never really understood why. I just thought this is weird. I I must I just must be not sleeping enough. Yeah. And I'm sure my teachers also looked very suspect at me. Yeah. And uh, but anyways, it <laughs> I I I had hepatitis C, you know. So oh, it um about 2002, I did a it was actually right. After the first time I met you, yeah, Toronto. Um, yeah, we after World Youth Day in Toronto and sort of that great moment and getting the right, you know, ex- sort of expand this setting of the litany of the saints that I wrote. Yeah, you know, and sing it at the at the vigil. Yeah, I you know I went back to Phoenix in that September. I started interferon therapy the first time. Okay, and did it for a year, and it didn't really work. And and the you know I was my particular uh, variation of, of the virus, uh, it was non-responsive to treatment. So, but I ended up on it for almost two years and it was a really, really difficult time. And at the end of it, the doctor said, come back in 10 years. Well, last year was 10 years. Right. And so, and, and she said, she said, just stay healthy. You know, I, I was a smoker at the time. She said, quit smoking. You know, so I did. Um, and she said, they'll probably have a cure in 10 years. And so sure enough, like almost to the date, I um, discovered that there there was this new, you know, type of treatment that was just a pill. It had almost no side effects. Right. And it had a 95% response rate. Yeah. So I started it. And the first day I, 
yeah, the, the day I picked up the medication was the day that I wrote this song called Deliverer. Mm-hmm. And it's a funny thing. I'm a bit of a blockhead, you know, because I think a lot of times God is trying to speak to us through the circumstances of our life, mm-hmm. and we just don't see it yeah. in the moment. And it's oftentimes we just have to look back, like I, like you know what I've been saying about this record, to actually see his yeah. hand and see where he's been moving. And um, so I, I, I got home and I took this medication and then I, I then I went and wrote uh, a song with two other gentlemen who were in a great band called Need to Breathe mm-hmm. and um, the brothers Bo and Bear Reinhardt and they've just become you know good friends on the road to to run into and see and they're great guys and Bear had started this song that was really just about a song about I think in some sense like coming to an awareness of whatever, you know, valley or pit you find yourself in. And um, and there's a certain level of freedom. There's actually a massive amount of freedom in, in humbly admitting that you can't save yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then I think there's also a tremendous amount of uh, freedom that comes in the faith and knowing that God can't save you. Yeah. So um, it was this thing of subconsciously, I guess, of me writing this song and, you know, in some sense, helping write a song that I was singing over my own life. Right. Um, And so I did that treatment, and then it was about 16 weeks, and at the end of it, I had to get blood work, and, uh, and it worked. So I'm sort of considered what's kind of like remission. Really? Um. Yeah, probably you know for the rest of my life, but but uh, for all intents and purposes, you know I'm cured. Yeah, you've been delivered. And, uh, <laughs> so the song for me is a very—it's a powerful thing because it represents a very um, tangible moment where I was experiencing, um, I think, the freedom that comes from being loved by God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The freedom of surrender. And, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And then also just. You know, there was this, you know, the bridge of the song is, is um, at the same time, my son was, like, overcoming his fear of the dark. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> and, and it, you know, you know this, like, when you have a baby monitor, and they're, like, when it's, when there, there's this change that happens when, it, it, when your kid is crying in the dark because they're scared. Yeah. All of a sudden, they're singing songs in the dark because yeah. they're not scared anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's such a powerful thing. You know, to uh, to just hear a child um, be free, and um, even in the middle of the dark, yeah, to be free, yeah, that's great. That's great that he's able to. I guess we, a lot of us, and our kids went went through that. But what a great example of that, like you said, tangible experience that that a lot of us. I think a lot of us can relate to, but we need to look back and 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 find those moments in our lives. Um, I know that you have a busy fall. You're going to be uh, in in Philadelphia for the papal visit. Um, uh, is that confirmed? Um, it uh, it's confirmed as much as the Pope's schedule is confirmed. Well, he's going. <laughs> we know he's, he's going. going. <laughs> you he's, know, we he's know going. he's going to be here. Nobody knows what he's doing. Yeah, that's okay. But Matt Marr will sing at some point, somewhere. You know what? I think that the, you know the great thing about it. There's a there's a in some you know, and you know this playing this world, you say there's a um, 
you just show up. Yeah, absolutely. And That's the spirit. Yeah. You just show up and, and we'll, you know, wait to see whatever God wants to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm assuming you're also uh, planning for Krakow because I'll be there. Yes. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're moving forward with that and, um, been building, you know, kind of getting to know the folks yeah, organizing will be staying in Krakow and, and, um, and the same thing, you know, I think the thing is, is that whenever you invite the Pope somewhere, 90% of your work goes into trying to figure out how to get the Pope from point A to point B. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last 10%, you go, oh, yeah, we also have, you know, all of this <laughs> other have, stuff happening. We have music. Unless they hire me to do that stuff, because, you know, I have, I have some experience in that area. Um, tell us quick, <laughs> just a little bit, tell us a little bit, because you're also on tour you're doing a uh, your is it the, on this this album tour this fall that you're yes, doing it's called this yeah the saints and sinners tour yeah and we're really just trying to unpack more you know unpack more and more some of these themes of you know what does it mean to hold this tension that we're you know we're redeemed we're we're the children of god you know we're his, his sons and daughters and yet we're not perfect yes and how do we hold that tension in our hearts and and especially, I think, in the way that we relate to the world around us. And it's, uh, I'm on tour with two other bands. There's a band called Iron Bay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a young singer-songwriter named John Guerra. Right. And uh, we'll be on tour all of October, you know, part of November and part of December. Okay. So and that's in the States? Kind of rolling right into Advent. That's in the States? Yeah, pretty much in the States. Yeah. Okay. Although, cool. if you're a church in Canada and you really want us to come, you know, I'm not, you know. You're not going to say no? Yeah, we're entertaining all, <laughs> all, all offers. All right, good. So you're still booking booking some dates. Okay, so that's good. So yeah. that's in the fall. People can find out more about that if they're interested. And I love what you said about tension. That, that to me, I think is becoming like a little bit of a theme for me, too, that we live in a tension in the tension mm. and maybe balance is, is, is more positive. But I love that tension that and that's the mystery um, in everything that we do. I had a guy just the other day, a, a parishioner of mine who I've been, I've been kind of walking with through a, a crisis and, and, and God really worked in his life just yesterday. And, mm. and his response was, I'm so confused because he's like, <laughs> because I'll, but, and I said, what do you mean you're confused? I mean, this is what we've been talking about for a year. And he's like, well, God has a purpose and it's like and and it's that tension of like you move forward and you move back and we're saints and we're sinners and we struggle and we get up and we're children of God and I, I love it um, uh, thank you for writing writing all the songs that are gonna help people journey journey as we oh, make our way to well, heaven brother okay that's all the time we have that's more than time more than the time that we have um, but uh, I look forward to seeing you around maybe I'll see you in Philadelphia but I'll definitely see you in Krakow Thank you so much, brother. You can learn more about Matt Marr, find out about his tour, or find out how to get his new album, which I'm sure is available at uh, any store near you, at his website, mattmar.com. Here now is Matt Marr with Because He Lives from his new album, Saints and Sinners. I believe in the sun I believe in the risen one I believe I overcome By the power of his blood Amen Amen 
Listening to Matt Marr with Because He Lives from his new album, Saints and Sinners. That concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org, and follow me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. Thank you for listening. <laughs>